Welcome to Amazon Planet. I'm your host, Joel Amazon. Thank you for joining me in this never-ending quest to learn how to teach better. Today on episode 97 of the podcast, we are, what, 97? <laughs> Almost to 100. Can't wait. Almost. So we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and in Business. Joining me for this conversation is my friend, uh, fellow habit enthusiast and frequent guest on Amazon Planet, Dr. Gary Williams. So excited to have him back on the podcast and uh, for a lively conversation about this book and thinking about it with regards to learning how to teach better. So I'm uh, going to get to that conversation in a second. But before we do that, I do want to make an announcement. It's kind of a timely announcement. We usually don't do these sorts of things. But if you're listening to this within the first week of its release, then there's an opportunity that you have to join me uh, on in the uh, in an opportunity to, to, to do a webinar. I've got a webinar that's being hosted by the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics, um, and it's the October MTLT Journal Club. So in 2015, I wrote an article called Supporting Mathematics Instruction Through Community. Uh, I actually did a podcast episode on that article with Jen Wolf not that long ago. Um, kind of just wanted to talk about it. Anyway, I wrote that article with Morgan Trevathan, who was a local teacher at that time. We got a grant, uh, a education, Mathematics Education Trust grant that then used that with her and uh, Verge Cornelius. We did some, like, basically just helped them improve their teaching. They self-selected how they wanted to improve and kind of helped help them along. And um, Morgan and I, we wrote an article on her experience, uh, on our experience working together. And so I guess it's a, a decently popular article because NCTM wants me to talk about it with Dr. Candice Cook, our uh, University of Mississippi's own Dr. Candice Cook, is going to be hosting that webinar. Uh, and again, that's October 3rd. That's Tuesday, October 3rd at 7 p.m. And anyone can register. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes for this episode. Anyone can go. So members and non-members of NCTM uh, can go and you can create a free account and register for the webinar and you can join in that conversation. So would love to see some folks there. Uh, and if you miss it, I still have the podcast episode that I did with Jen Wolf. if you really are interested in the content where I talk about that article. But uh, hopefully it's a little bit different discussion coming up on October 3rd. Anyway, so I'm going to get into this book, uh, The Power of Habit uh, by Charles Duhigg. And again, this conversation with Dr. Gary Williams. But before we do that, let's do the disclaimer. Uh, as always, just know that we will not be able to communicate the whole value of the book. And even if we did, it would be from our perspective. I mean... <laughs> Uh, Gary made a joke that we could have done two or three episodes on this book. You really could. And really to dive into the science of it, Charles Duhigg is, is, a, is a bit of a genius. So there's lots of stuff in there. So in other words, if you like what you hear, get the book for yourself. Right now, the book uh, can be found on bookshop.org. And there'll be links in the show notes for it. And anyway, bookshop.org is a website committed to helping local independent bookstores thrive in the age of e-commerce. Uh, again, you can find a link in the show notes, or, which would be at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 97, where your purchase will not only support local booksellers, but also the production costs of the Amazon Planet podcast, or better yet, wander down to your local bookseller like Square Books here in Oxford, Mississippi, and pick up a copy. All right, here we go. Here's my conversation with Dr. Gary Williams about the book, The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and in Business by Charles Duhigg. Well, let's jump into it. Let's go. Let's do it. Gary. Williams, how are you? Joel, well, it's so good to see you and to interact with you again. I am so excited uh, to go on this little journey with you again. Um, I actually uh, 
you know, think I was thinking about the last couple that we've done together and boy, we go on a lot of different, uh, roller coasters <laughs> of, uh, of places. And so I hope that, uh, those listening are like, Oh no, not this guy again. <laughs> and where is he going to take us? Well, it's good. This is not a video podcast. Cause they'd be wondering like, Hey, why are they putting that glasses filter I on? Like they each... Oh my gosh. Yes. We're just getting old Gary. That's what we we're are, just getting old. Are, we are. It's crazy. You're so right. And, uh, yes, I have my little readers mm-hmm. on because I've got some really good notes about a really <laughs> great book and I want to make sure that I can uh, can capture everything, uh, and yes, uh, I will be fifty in March. And uh, oh my although, goodness, yeah, I know, yeah. isn't that? Yeah. It's five and years ahead of me. That's right, five yeah. years and uh, five years ahead of you. And uh, I still feel and act like a like a like a five year old, um, <laughs> but the body is is definitely telling me uh, that you are you are now hitting <laughs> the other side of life. That's right. That's right. <laughs> It's not like we're, uh, we've got the, you know, when we would go for our runs up and down oh. the hills of, uh, Ripon, Wisconsin after, uh, refing, uh, some football games and be like, <laughs> you know what, that refing, that probably was, that was our exercise for the I, day. Well, we, yeah. I, I was, I still try to get a little jog in, but I, uh, just the other day I like pulled a hammy, but I didn't, I don't think I pulled, I don't even know what I did. And all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my gosh, I might have to stretch now, you know, and then, <laughs> and then, you know, our, the old Aaron Rodgers uh, is situation with his Achilles. Like yes. I get scared about that. Oh, like what yeah. he experienced, I know many, 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 uh, many a person that has had an injury like that is no fun at all. And, uh, you know, when you have it, and that is the one that I'm definitely not interested in, in meeting anytime soon. Yeah. Well, no joke, Gary, I was like asked to play in an adult kickball league this summer, which I did oh. play it, but I'm like, uh, that's, that's just a recipe. I mean, I said no. Cause I'm like, yeah, uh, that's, I'm going to end up in a boot. I know I'm going to end up in a boot <laughs> somehow. I'm going to be limping. And and let me tell you though, just, there was a lot of people walking like pirates after those games, like oh, quads, I'm, quads were, were pulling everywhere. <laughs> Joel, Joel, I swear I cannot make this up. Carrie, my wife, who you know very well, she, not only did she pull a hamstring playing kickball, but it created such a dislodgement in her spine. She ended oh up, Oh my with, gosh. Yeah. She ended up having some spinal surgery done and it was all because of kickball. I think kickball is the, the best and worst kind of thing. Cause when you think about kickball, it's like, you know, you go back to your childhood. So you automatically revert back. And in fact, it, it's so interesting because it is a lot like what this book talks about in terms of habit forming, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like you go back to what you're used to doing and mm-hmm. then you get into this automatic pilot. And then all of a sudden your body and your muscles say, whoa, 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 <laughs> that, that movement has not happened in a while. And <laughs> next thing you know, you're, you're down and out for the count. So you got this yeah. kickball. I tell you like, that is, is dangerous. That kickball game. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. There's a, there's a, we're going to get into the habit loop and everything, but yeah, we're going to talk about the the book by uh, Charles Duhigg, the power of habit, why we do what we do in life and business. Mm-hmm. And this book, Gary, and, and I was just going into, you know, thinking about other questions, like, why are we talking about this book? I think this book is one of the books that got me thinking about wanting to start this podcast. Cause I mm-hmm. was reading, you know, listening to a lot of podcasts. And when I think when Charles Duhigg was, this book was coming out and he's 
he's recognized as a pretty sharp guy yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he's on a lot of different, and he's a good talker. And so like, he was on all these like leadership podcasts and whatever. And like, everyone's talking about how do you, how do you take some of the lessons and apply it to whatever they're talking mm-hmm. about, whether it was, you know, business or, uh, even the, the ministry, like some, you know, ministry yeah. leaders were having him on and like all these different facets, but it was like, not school. And I, I mean, education, I know that there's lessons on education within here, but thinking about, Hey, how do we apply mm-hmm. some of these to the world of education that that I think about? And so, you know, learning how to teach better. That's what we're trying yeah. to do here on Avid on Planet. And so thinking about this book. And so it's been a while because I'm like, all right, I got to, I want to read it. <laughs> I want to digest it. I want to get somebody to come on and talk about it. And then you, uh, you're more than willing to, to jump on board and yeah, and, yeah I'll talk about that book. I, yeah, I love new, I love new books. I love new adventures. This obviously isn't a new book, but it was newer to me. I had seen it quite a bit as well, uh, like yeah. you and knew of its, of its merits. But then I, you know, really, when I dove in, I dove, I dove into the deep end on it and boy, they're just, um, I don't know. I might be, uh, I might be a controversial guest because I've got some, some implications to education that I think might be a little controversial, but if, uh, if you just stop and think for a moment about some of the things that this book suggests, it may be worth a try, uh, Mm -hmm. and hoping that the listeners will, will find some sort of happy ground from where I might want to take them to where you're practically taking them and somewhere in between is where maybe they'll land. But there's a lot in here to that. I told you, I think we could probably have done two or three podcasts, but uh, in the same token, I think, um, you know, one, one dose of Gary is enough for the for the <laughs> listeners until our next uh, rendezvous, right. uh, you know, six or eight months from now. Yeah. Well, I was starting to think too about like a book like this has been around for a while, and you could still go into bookstores and see it on the shelf. That means also too that hey, it wasn't just a hey flash in the pan sort of thing. Like yeah. people are still paying attention to it. I think this and you know the other book that I think about with regards to habit, uh, Atomic Habits. Talk yes. about that uh, book with Hunter Taylor on. Uh, earlier episode of the podcast, but, um, like, but thinking about habits and thinking about it, like we're surrounded by them. And I don't know, just, uh, here's a question off the, uh, uh, off the top. That's, uh, not on our list here is, I mean, do you have any like, like habits that you're like, Hey, I'm glad, like, I'm glad this habit exists or you've seen this habit develop over time, this positive habit. Yeah. You know, I, there's one that just started emerging, which was, uh, the realization that the hours of five and six a.m. are like really great times for learning and reflecting, meditating, um, even exercising. Uh, definitely something that my former younger self would have absolutely disdained. But recently, I found myself um, really finding those hours of solitude when the rest of the world is not necessarily fully awake. Um, I actually have a couple, uh, I have a childhood friend who is awake at that time. And we often are interacting with, with each other, which is always a really interesting conversation because it feels like it's probably one of the few times we're uninterrupted and, um, and we get a chance to kind of, kind of talk. So um, in fact, my wordle, his wordle, 
will come out than mine will. And we'll often every once in a while be like, Hey, what's going on? You know, because mm-hmm. we're, we're awake and, and, and we're on Eastern time zone when most of my family and friends are on central time zone. So my, my 5 a.m. is your 4 a.m. So yeah. it's even it's even different. But <laughs> I would say that over the last six to eight months, that's been a great habit that's formed. And and it took a while to get in that rhythm. But now that I've gotten in that rhythm, I feel like it's a real I, I don't I I I guess I, I think of my former self and ask what what I was waiting for. Well, what yeah. took so long for me to mm-hmm. get there? What about you, Joel? Yeah, you know what? Similar than that, you know, one of the things that you keep hearing over and over again is about people talking about getting up earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, Jocko Willink is a big guy for that. I know um, a lot of folks that do a lot of uh, early morning, either riding or exercise or something like that. Um, and that is just now it's like the, and also now I've had a dog for the last five years. And so knowing that that dog is waiting for me to get up mm-hmm. and then, so it's the get up, you know, the get making coffee, yep. taking the coffee on the walk, you know, like it's all, everything that kind of fits together towards, you know, it's like one win after the other. It's kind of like the, in, in this book, they talk about Michael Phelps. I mean, like yes. these little, like little victories along the way to the fact that, Hey, now we're, we're going to school on time and I've done X, Y, and Z that, that have already felt good before I've even stepped inside my office door. Yeah. So, which is great. Yeah. Well, I'm glad your dog is still doing that. Mine now are looking at me like, what are you doing? I am nest. <laughs> I was nestled so warmly in this yeah, couch and fair. now you're awake. Like I'm not ready for you, but yeah. they're slowly, they're slowly changing their habits as well. But you know, dogs are an interesting phenomenon. They are definitely creatures of habit mm-hmm. and give you some, there is something super simplistic about the development of a habit. In fact, you know, a lot of it does come down to the very nature of the human brain and how habits are formed. And I know I had a really great opportunity to just do some studying in my doctoral work on leadership and the brain. And a lot of the brain science talks about this, this real notion that when you actually finally develop a habit, your brain gets freed And it doesn't have to fully participate in thinking about thinking about doing something. And that thinking about thinking about thinking is what slows you down, slows your reflexes down. And so now you can divert that brain energy into these other places and you can actually start to attack even higher level problems, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think that that's one of the most important uh, parts of the beginning of this book, which is just the realization of that habit in a, in a really good way, a really good habit frees your mind from having to think about how to do something and gets you into this more of an autopilot mode. Mm-hmm. Of course, there is a unproductive side of that as well, right. but I'd like to think that in this context of today's conversations, I really just want to hopefully focus on only the productive ways that habits are formed because we can sit and talk about all of the bad habits of the world, but that's not productive. What's productive is the replication of good habits. And I really want to stay focused on that. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need to recite like, you know, like the, uh, I, I get, whenever you talk about this, like everybody says, well, you know how many times you pick up your phone? Yeah. And like, yeah, we don't, 
We know that we that's know. there. We know. we know. We're tipping our hat to that. It's yes. like neither of us are wearing hats, but we're both tipping it. And we know that that's there. But yeah, we want to have a productive yeah. conversation. So let's think about it. So, you know, you're talking about um, some things that are learning in some of the things we've learned from the book. And that might mm-hmm. lead into, uh, you know, applying to teaching or helping people develop a relationship with content, which is my kind of definition of teaching. Yeah. So let's, let's dive into it. I, you want to go for one? Yeah. Well, so... I think the first thing is the nature of the human brain, the science behind how, how humans learn. And I, th- I thought right away that this is, this is one of the central themes of education mm-hmm. or why a teacher sh- is existing in my mind is to help their students create these types of, of recall loops so that meaningful information is easily recaptured and processed, but more than just reciting it, it's applying it. And so if you, and this is the catch, right? You can teach someone to memorize so many things, right? But it's, it's in the memorization or in the replication of an activity that it then gets your mind freed to do higher level thinking. And Mm -hmm. that's the catch, right? Like it's not just knowing how to do math. It's about how does that math translate to my checkbook or translate to me figuring out the discount that I'm going to get on something in a store, right? Uh, When I see a sign that says 20% off, right? Like being able to do math is one thing. And if we are just teaching to a test and the brain will, the brain will, the kid will, the kids will eventually figure that piece out, but it's that higher level thinking is what's necessary to solve not only more complex problems, but also in that anticipation of the types of things that the application of that, of that content can be used for. And so um, I love also Malcolm Gladwell's materials. I think you know this. We've yeah. talked about him before. So this part of it also brings me back to a connection between him um, in that in thin slicing, right? Which is we live in this age of super overloadedness um, where we almost have a paralysis by analysis in a, in a good way by developing these patterns or habits, um, we can then use and utilize thin slicing more productively, where we basically have, you take this very narrow period of experience and you come to a quicker conclusion so that you can keep moving on to the next thing. And I think that in a lot of ways, I know for me, one of the things that I've developed over time is the ability to read people and read a room and read situations. And you're saying, well, you know, how did that, you know, well, what good is that? It's a lot of good when you think about, <laughs> yeah. you, when you're looking out at a crowd and you're saying to yourself, you know, in a classroom setting, especially like they're not getting what I'm laying down right now. And I've got to back up and be self-aware enough. Or when you know the types of of brain brain waves that a person is on, you know, either logical or relationship, it changes. You can change your vocabulary. You change your approach. You can change your style with them. And that gets you a, a quicker in with that person. So 
you know, for me, it's, it's the human experience for you. It's mathematics, right. And, and your ability to kind of take content and be able to utilize that. But in either case, if you don't develop that habit and you're never able to go to that next step to be able to really utilize it and apply it. Yeah. And so, and so thinking about it and just to dive into the, just the, some of the stuff that they talk about in the book, when they talk about habit generation, they talk about having a craving going mm-hmm. in generating a cue that gets a routine. And yep. then, then we have a reward and we, and around and around we go craving cue routine reward. And mm-hmm. so thinking about like, you know, even like when you're talking about reading a crowd, you know, like you, I, I, there's a desire for these people to do something right. And like, and yeah. even like the cues that you're getting from them and okay. So now given these cues, Oh, a little rambunctious or a little, okay, now I have a routine I can do. And then thus mm-hmm. getting a reward. So we were even talking about this today. I was in an observation and talking about like, you know, getting kids in an elementary school to move from one part of the school to another part of the school in a quietly, because you're passing, you know, numerous mm. other classrooms. And if you're moving noisy, that's going to create noise and disruptions. And so how do you create noise? So even to be like, let's make it a game. We're going to be ninjas. All right. We're going to walk yeah. like ninjas down the hall. And yes. like, all right. So now, now we've created a, you know, like we have a you know, a desire to, to please a teacher to play a game. Right. And then, so yeah. here's the cue. Let's be like ninjas routine is we're going to creep along. And the reward is, Oh, look how quietly we just walked down the hall. Absolutely. Like, and, how, and, and like just being re- rewarding them for that or else the next time, Hey, now we're going to walk like penguins and penguins don't talk. You never hear it. Was it, was a penguin say penguin doesn't say anything. We're Absolutely. You know, and what so a like, great example. But these sorts of things that can help, you know, help achieve to the same ends versus like just, hey, everyone be quiet. <laughs> yeah. Just telling kids to be quiet when they, they want to be social. They want to do things. But now we're doing something together. We are doing something together. We're just not talking. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. It, 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 in, in, the, in the book, it talks about the, that the real driver of a habit is that craving. Mm-hmm. And in this case that you're describing, the craving is to be able to play a game or to, to be a ninja in that gives that brain activity, that endorphin rush Mm -hmm. that you need to be able to get what the book refers to as a tingling sensation almost. Right. Like, and you know, when you think about on the other side of being a teacher, like, you, you know, talk about when, when you see a student and the light bulb goes on, that gives you that, that tingling feeling. And that's a craving that you, that you desire. And that's something that keeps you wanting to come back for more. And that keeps you wanting to be creative and energetic and enthusiastic in what you're in the way you're presenting material, because that endorphin rush is a very addictive in a very positive way. And so, uh, the other, the one example the book talked about, which I also think is really applicable in this case is the, the example of Febreze. So they oh, yeah. talked about this whole, this whole process of, of getting Febreze to market. And at first, in essence, they were going in the wrong direction. And the, the long and short of it is once they figured it out, they realized really what people were looking for and then they could sell and market that. But in that process, and here's where I, you know, where I look and think about all too often. And I know I was a victim of this when I was back in it. And when I was teaching as well is we, we 
we need to be able to take the time to really put effort into a problem so that we can get it right. And this is one of the things about habits and one of the things that this whole notion of cue, routine, reward, craving is sometimes that does take longer than we expect. And, you know, we think a lesson is only going to take a week to do. And then we realize they still didn't get it at the end of the week. Or how many times is a class bombed, bombed an exam and you're like, and what's the first reaction? The first reaction is, well, they didn't get it right or something happened to them. As opposed to that introspection of saying, stop, let's think about this before we move on. What do we need to recapture here? Because then if we can recapture it and figure out what it is that they missed the first time or how it might have been missed, maybe we can replicate that again and we can then move faster through other sections. And so there's just a lot of, I think, a, a lot of really good applications to this notion that sometimes taking time to really get into the root of the root cause of a problem is really worth it in terms of then speeding up the process later on. Yeah, they talk a lot about that with regards to root cause. And, and that I'm teaching a class right now in improvement science. Mm. So we're talking all about like, little wins and like driver diagrams and fish mm -hmm. diagram where you're trying to like get down to the uh, nitty gritty of a problem and yeah. thinking about what are the, you know, the, the, you know, what they said in the book, like small wins towards something like yes. what, what, you know, what are the thinking about what you actually care about? Like, for example, if we're talking about success in a class, right. You know, what do you actually care about? And then, you know, some even adjust that to like success in a class and what does that actually mean? And so if mm -hmm. it's just a grade, like grade, that's one thing. But if you did like standards-based grading, like, hey, I want to see like, are you demonstrating competency in these certain things? Yeah. Right. Now we say, and okay, so now we have those measures and then we think like, well, what's going to move that that measure, right? What's going to move those yeah. numbers, right? What are the things that are going to influence um, that? And so even to say like, how do we, if, if then we've drilled down to that, and we can, you know, it's not just, hey, people aren't doing well in math. Like, no, we can actually say like, hey, they're having difficulty translating mm -hmm. uh, context into uh, a graph, right? And so now we, yeah. we have a better way to like influence, like what are we doing to 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 make change there to write mm -hmm. to to help help students uh, achieve that competency rather than just some broad measures, but actually to drill down to like what what are we actually doing here? Yeah, the, the notion of small wins and that ripple effect, or the book also talks about keystone habits, which is what are those essential habits that then can create a ripple effect to then developing other really good learning moments and habits and accomplishments. And I think about that a lot. I thought about that concept a lot when I was in terms of its applications to education, as I was reading this text and teaching, which is, you know, what sometimes we're so worried about teaching so many things. What's like the one thing they really need to take away from this. And how can that one thing just keep building upon each other? The foundation is so important. I, I have a, a neighbor, God bless her. She teaches Spanish and um, she's a wonderful teacher, but, all too often, uh, and, and, you know, she's not alone in the world where she teaches a second, the second of a series of courses, right? So maybe it's the 
in this case, she's the Spanish two teacher from Spanish one, uh, or in maybe in a mathematics case, this is the algebra that's building to the geometry building, the trigonometry. How often do we hear someone who will come back and say, boy, these students, they're just not ready for my class. They just don't get it. And, you know, whose fault is that? Right. Like you, we, we can talk about all of these things in terms of, you know, whatever, how a teacher does their, does their, but here's the thing I look at it. If the Spanish one teacher doesn't know what the Spanish two teacher is truly expecting. And the Spanish two teacher doesn't know what the Spanish three teacher is expecting. And every kid never, never going to all get along. But what are those hurdles, right? What are those as, as the book would say, what are the little wins in Spanish one that need to happen? And what are those keystone foundational things that have to happen so that when they get ready for Spanish two, you can actually hit the ground running in a faster way. And I think a lot of times, even within it, your own department, you might be myopic to what you're teaching, right? And forget that you're in a community of teachers and there is some sort of foundation that needs to be built. And that is something that I really felt passionately about when I was reading this is, you know, when they talk about this, this idea of building upon each other, that those good habits have to start. And I would even argue that the mathematics department of a whole school district should be on the same page as opposed to just, just, you know, the high school or the middle school or the elementary school, because so much of what needs to happen to get to complex thinking and really accomplish some significant goals happens so early. And if it starts in the wrong direction, Joel, then you're right. It just leads to multiple levels of frustration, both the students, the teachers, and eventually parents when they see the ACT score, or the SAT score, and are trying to figure out like, how come my son or daughter is a straight A student and isn't going to be ready for going to that next level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so even to think like the idea of a, a keystone habit, they use a common, um, I know it's, it seems like a common example in a lot of leadership books. It's the example of uh, Paul O'Neill and, and Alcoa and thinking oh. in, in this comment. I mean, I've seen it in, a, in a many, many books, but talking about this, like he just had a focus on safety, right? Yep. Like that was the big thing is like, we're going to focus on safety. If there's an issue with safety, make sure it's reported so that mm-hmm. everyone can ex- experience like what happened and then they analyze it in order to make sure that we can get even safer. So then everything was pointing at that. And so, yeah. you know, thinking about like, well, what is, what is the keystone habit that, you mm-hmm. know, that has been as you know established or whatever that is influential within your realm. Like, and I found out for me, so I work with a lot of doctoral students and I found that the keystone habit for me is frequent meetings. Like, mm-hmm. just like, just like the thing that I do for teaching a class, it has a periodic uh, expected meeting time having like, even just on the books, I've got like several of them throughout and you have some today later yeah. on. But we have we'll have a fifteen to thirty minute Zoom meeting or you know face to face meeting depends on the student, and every week and making sure that 
If mm-hmm. that habit is in place, well, then we both know that, hey, you asked me to do something, so I better get that done before the next mm-hmm. time. And I asked you to do something, and you better get that done before we meet again. And so on and on. And like that's if it's a writing project, if it's working with a student, if it's, uh, well, even a periodic podcast production, you know, <laughs> if it doesn't come out on a this, this idea of this periodic nature, that's like a keystone habit towards a lot of successful things, at least from my perspective. And yeah. so, you know, thinking about what are, what is the keystone habit for, you know, like, you know, some in, in Madison, Wisconsin, I remember they used to do, do something called, uh, not balanced literacy. It was like balanced mathematics, something like basically hmm. like balance where it was like, Hey, we're going to, every day we want to focus a little bit of our time on uh problem solving, a little bit of our time on like, Oh, you know, interesting. And, and like facts and knowing your facts and things like that. Yeah. It was like several things like, Hey, if every class had, had this, no matter what grade level, right. This like balanced approach it, mm-hmm. which is healthy because like, some people are like, well, it should be nothing but, you know, flashcards and stuff. And the other people are like, well, you know, you should just learn how to decipher problems like more holistically. There's similar sort yeah. of uh, things with the reading. There's reading wars, there's math, there's wars everywhere. But yeah. anyway, uh, but having like, hey, if we just focus in on this, these are some things that we need to, that would be lead to success. Or even thinking about the common core state standards or, in Mississippi, we took the cover off. We call it the Mississippi, Mississippi College of Career Rating and Standards. Uh, the number one standard for mathematical practice is make sense of problems and persevere in solving them. If that mm-hmm. was something that we did on a daily basis, right? Like, hey, yeah. you, you're becoming someone that makes sense of problems and persevere in solving them. I mean, Gary, you got kids. Like, you want them to be able yeah. to make sense of problems and persevere in solving them? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Absolutely. That That's not even just – that's throughout. And that's that's exactly kind of the stuff that – you know, when the, when the sport analogy came up in the book about Tony Dungy and the, and the culture that he was creating with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, what a wonderful quote, uh, champions do not do extraordinary things. They do ordinary things without thinking, following habits that they learned. And it's so true. It's like when someone says, you know, oh, we're just not good at math. Well, what do you mean? Like there, there are, what it, how do you not know if you don't try and or provide that environment where they can, you know, get those skills built because they are transferable. And that perseverance is also something that comes through later in the text when it talks about the power of belief and the power of willpower. Like those are two huge concepts, you know, um, when when you don't have a system of doing things, you know, there, there, when you as a teacher and you as a school district are not in your own routine of doing things, like this is how we do things. Like this is how we're going to approach everything from homework to the way we talk to our students to even just the way we, we think about how we're going to utilize similar teaching, teaching methodologies in all of our classrooms so that we can, the kids can see that there is some overlap, that there is connection. That's what, when you see everyone working in this, you know, almost robot, not in a bad way, but like this methodical robotic way, it's hard not to want to be part of that community. And the, the real irony is that almost every organization, most teams truly are not teams. There are groups of individuals 
who all have to create, as the book calls, a truce. They have to create this truce with each other in order for them to truly be able to be effective. And this is the, you know, whether it's within a, the math department or it's the math department versus the English department or whatever the wars are that go on in education, at the end of the day, there needs to be some sense of truce that says, listen, as much as we all want to do our own thing, our own way, we've got to come together and find a way to build a sense of community within how we teach math or English or science so that when these students are experiencing things, they're, they're not having to think about how to study science or how the class is going to get set up or how what what's going to happen every day. They're just that's the habit. The habit is every time I get in math class, we're going to first, we're going to talk about the goals for the class and the goals for the day and park the things that we're not good at or the things that are bothering us to the side. And then what's our goal today? And then, you know, thinking about how you might be able to set up every class to have a structure so that even wherever they're at in a school building, they're feeling the same kind of thing, which is park whatever I just had from my previous class over here. It's not that it's not important, but it needs to be put to the side for a second. Maybe it's even taking two or three minutes to say, scream at the top of your lungs, whatever it is that you're most, most bothered by right now, because I need you to let that go so that we can then get to the heart of this. And then at the end, let's scream about what we learned and what we're excited about. Imagine if every class was set up in a whole school like that and the whole school screamed at the same, you know, I mean, it's, it's Pollyannish, Joel, but I think you're getting the, I hope that you and the, the others that are listening are getting my point, which is imagine the power of that community if everything was structured in a routine. Well, and I, I'll say this, I saw this today. I went and did an observation of a classroom and the, and, and I've seen this in multiple, in two different, two different styles, but it's very similar routine where there's, you, you enter and it's a, it's a calm environment. Kids are sitting in groups together. There's a, there's the objective written in student friendly language written on the board. Hey, what yeah. are we doing today? And then there's, um, you know, there's maybe some small group activity. Kids now have a routine of they know exactly what they should be doing. They should be getting out there. Mm -hmm. If there's a device that they're going to be using today, they, they they know exactly what's to be going. There's some calm music even playing, some some, some contemporary music. All of a sudden, I'm like, that's Post Malone. And like, <laughs> like how awesome. Yeah. Like, hey, I think that's the Zach Brown band. <laughs> like, and so you're here. So there's that going up. And then there's a there's a small, like, you know, whole group teaching of some concept or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they have this thing they call mustard and pickles. They have things that they must do, things that they can pick to do. And it's all surrounding this concept. And like seeing kids that know exactly what they're supposed to do because a routine has been established. And I almost think of it as like this, like I don't know, like a blanket, like the, your, your kid's yeah. blanket, you know, it's like, it's comforting, like might not need it all the time, but this routine is there. Pavlov's dog, right, right where the, the drool come or the yeah. whatever, you know, it's just, and I'll tell you what, Gary, I, I went in the middle and there was a tornado drill 
like you and I remember tornado drills because we, we both do. grew up in Wisconsin. So, I mean, we know, okay, let's find place. And, but you know, good luck getting back into class after the tornado drill. Like people are just like, Oh my yeah. gosh, you know, I had to sit and be quiet. And now I'm, you know, Hey, there's no, no, no time left in class. Like, Hey, we're just, we're just done. Like, no, no, no. These kids come right back on Muzak comes back on. They go right. I mean, I, it was unbelievable to see how fast these kids re- returned to, cause they knew it was like the warm blankets right there. They knew exactly what to do mm-hmm. and they started engaged and they're, they're helpful towards each other. I mean, even like seeing something where a kid, it was an exchange where a kid came up, showed something to a teacher. There was a high five and then the kid didn't, no one said a thing. High five kid went back and started working on something else. Teacher went back and started doing, and it was just like, it, it was like this environment that has been facilitated where there's so many routines where kids are getting their needs met, right? Mm-hmm. They're getting their cravings met and then able to see success in many different ways Ugh. around this place. I mean, it was just, it was beautiful. And it was like, I was seeing like all these, you know, like the, we talked about the idea of little wins, like, you know, kid had a little win of a problem and then you have a little win of like, mm-hmm. oh, I get to finish this thing. Oh, like all these different things are checking off all around this one objective, all around yeah. being a doer of mathematics. And it was like, this is beautiful. I mean, I'm always tearing up thinking about it. Like it was so beautiful. And then wow. also what's on top is our kids there that are learning how to be teachers are being exposed to this, which Absolutely. is like, like awesome. This is yeah. so good. Well, and in the, in the one, you know, one of the, you want to talk about keystone fundamental pieces that directly relates to education that the book stated, which was on page 131 in the text, it says, quote, self-discipline has a bigger effect on academic performance than does intellect talent. Intellectual talent is not nearly the import as important as self-discipline and willpower and grit from Angela Duckworth, whatever you want to call it, that sense of being able to persevere is a learned skill. It is not something someone's born with. You have, it's like a muscle and, and the harder willpower works, um, the, the more that energy be builds yeah. and it can, yeah. And, and yet in the same token, you know, we have to be able to pick our battles because willpower is not finite. Like it has a lifespan Students are only able to be quote unquote good for so long. They do need recess and a break. They need to go outside. They need those things. Maybe a good tornado drill every now and then. A good tornado (laughs) drill every once in a while. But, and the other thing you said, when you even just made this, this statement, which I thought was, is a brilliant statement. When you said, look, I saw this thing as a student friendly language. Remember the text also talks about kindness Kindness is the number one thing that can help you gain control and help someone become more disciplined is when they are treated kindly. There was this great cookie experiment in versus, you know, those that were being treated kindly in terms of their, their abstinence from a cookie and others that were like, no, stop it. And being treated poorly almost that there was a major difference between who could actually withstand not having a cookie longer than the other. It was the ones who were in a kind environment. And that right there, that environment you just saw, 
that almost makes me tear up thinking about it because it's exactly what I was envisioning when I'm reading this book and talking about, boy, is it really worth it to have those types of, yes, tough love is important. Yes, we all agree. But at the same token, grit and perseverance would be one of the most critical pieces. If if what this author is saying is right, then the application of self-discipline in whatever it is that they're doing, whether it's math or English or science or physical education or sport or music, how do we bottle that up and teach that? How do we replicate that? How do we get them, you're right, Joel, to come into a classroom? I was thinking about chat GPT for some reason and how many people are losing their gourds over, over chat GPT, right? It was the same, it's the same thing, that argument that I remember hearing when I was in school about Wikipedia. It's not valid. It's not reliable. Well, guess what? Encyclopedias are gone. They're gone. Yeah. And the only thing that truly does exist, if that's in somewhat real time, is the internet and Wikipedia. So we went from bashing something of a new technology to not. And so I thought so much about, you know what? I'll be the first to tell you, I am an old dinosaur, but I love new tricks. Chad GPT is brilliant. It's the, it's the most, in my, in my opinion, it, it is a groundbreaking technology that helps us really get to the heart of the things that you want to be able to say about something in, a, in the most efficient way possible. It is no different than a really advanced Google search or library search or whatever the case. Here's the catch, though, Joel. If you do what you did when you did it in the when I plagiarized the encyclopedia back in second grade and got in trouble, or I didn't cite my sources during my doctoral work, or I use ChatGPT today, in either case, it's not the technology and it's not using it or the information. It's applying it. That's the catch. Yeah. And so as opposed to sitting there and trying to block it and say, oh, you can't use your phones. You can't do this. You tell me one person today that is in an office setting that's not scrolling on their phone 24-7. Yeah. Like, and to think in a classroom, we're going to just completely divorce them, divorce students from the reality of today. Let's teach responsible uses of the phone. I used to say to students all the time in the classroom, I want you to get out your phones right now. Look this up. Look this up and tell me what you see or tell me what's out there, right? Like teaching them that you can use a phone or chat GPT to help you get started on an idea, but it can't be the end of the right. habit. It needs to build into, I use this. Now my brain is moving. Now I can get into my own thinking on how to apply this. Right. So how do you, how do you use the sources in order, how do you use what the tools you have been given in order yeah. to create the best product, right? And so even to think, like, I've been trying, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm going to have hopefully an episode in the very near future with a, an expert on AI stuff, because I do think that there's a lot of fear oh. out there. Out, But the thing that I was, you know, that I've been saying is like, chat GPT, I kind of call it like, a, a, you know, that, that person that, give it like a, whoever that person is in your life that will just, you know, what 
always wants to please you, please you, but yeah. he might not necessarily be telling you the truth all the time. Absolutely. You're just like, hey, what do you think about this? Well, let me tell you, all the experts say that. Yeah, exactly. And like, and like that, it sounds great, but then all of a sudden you look at it like, eh, I don't know if that's right. And the thing is, like, it could be some good stuff, could be some bad stuff, but it then also be. too, you know, it thinks it's an expert in everything, but it's not necessarily. It's just gen. It's and this is what somebody said: it's not writing, it's generating text. Right, generating text yeah. to try to please you at a prompt, and then okay, so and you think about the little, you know, our little habit loop, right? Mm -hmm. And so now think about okay, so it's trying to do that, trying to please us, but then also too, how what are we, how are we inserting that into our own habit loops in exactly. order to create, generate the the thing that we need in order to accomplish a task? Right? It's all about it for me. It's it's a it's perspective on a topic. It's perspective in an idea, like. You, I think you know. Every Wednesday, I put out a video called the Wednesday Word. It's Wednesday some word. sort of obscure word that always, you know, seems to connect with something at some point. I use Chat GPT almost all the time when I when I think of a word, and then I'm like, okay, how would I apply this to this? And you're right, the friend does tell me what I want to hear, but I don't always listen to everything it's going to tell me. All it's doing for me is either A, confirming I'm in the right direction, or B, giving me a different perspective so that I can then take that. And so all of these new technologies, all these tools, everything that we're talking about, as opposed to fighting these things, how can we use the tool to create a positive habit. Here's how, no, you don't take what's written in chat GPT and you put it and slam it on a piece of paper. You take this information and here's how you then use that information with these other sources to then synthesize it into that outline that you need to then get to the place where you're writing that first draft, right? Like, and so, you know, I heard, um, a couple of the teachers in the district, they were like, oh, I'd hate to be an English teacher today because, you know, chat GPT. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, think of it in a different way. Like, I did this week's Wednesday word is stop. And so many people think stop is a negative thing. Like, stop it. Or, you know, this happened and it stopped in my life. Just always remember a stop is a chance for you to look left, look right. Look back left again to pause, to recollect, and then go to your next go. And as opposed to thinking about chat GPT and saying, stop it, don't use it, pause and think about, boy, this is a way for a student to re who maybe struggles with prompts, who struggles generating their own ideas to get some ideas because it's fun, right? Back to what you were saying. This is like being a ninja in an English classroom, right? Like this is the ninja. You get a chance to kind of play with this toy, but just remember, here's how we use it. Here's how it's used. And it's not the end. It's the beginning of your process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were doing some prompts where you can give it like, hey, I'm a professor at a uh, <laughs> institution in the South. And then like, but I love the Muppets. And I want to write a letter. It was like, and the, my prompt was, I wanted to write a letter to the uh, New York Times, letter to the other of the New York Times uh, uh, about the you know, some restaurant, and but I'm going to reference four Muppets in the letter and hit enter, and I was like, there it is, and I was like, it's crazy. Fuzzy the bear would <laughs> as fuzzy with the bear would say. And it was like, oh my Kermit. gosh, yeah, Kermit. exactly, yeah. So, I mean, but the thing is like, yeah, now it's a, now it's a tool to open up creativity, right. Versus 
like you're saying, stop. So it's like thinking about how do we, how do we, you know, and so maybe that is given the, given the landscape of technology that exists within, uh, within the current educational Mm -hmm. systems. Right. And thinking about how do we, as, as teachers, as educators, how are we taking those on versus like just trying to shut them out, which you can't, you can't shut them out. So that's the, the, the heart of it is the heart of my, you know, of, of, the, of my argument or my my thesis of what I where I'm kind of getting at is when you're thinking about if you've got well established habits now you've got a different cue now how do we take this cue and create a reward from it because it's not going away I mean Joel you would have rolled over in your proverbial math grave when I went to a, a ball game the other day and I walked up and um, ordered tickets. And then at, at the high school and the, and the student that was taking tickets had to go to their phone and do, do 20 minus 14 mm. on their phone. But then I think to myself, like, well, I, I know how to do math in my head. Like, that's kind of one of the fun tricks I learned when I was a kid. But that's the cue reward for them. And yet maybe how did that happen, right? Like, and I think about it gets us to the topic we didn't say we were going to do, but if you are going to change a bad habit, you've got to attack the routine. And so if you don't want chat GPT to be a bad habit, attack the routine. How can you, how can you provide them a reason to use it, to start your prompt and then teach them how that fits into the routine? How, how that can go. What if um, they're not good at turning in homework? Well, how do you create a new routine for them? And the, the most important piece of that habit breaking is focus on something very simple. And it gets back to keystone habits. What's that one thing that you want? And, and I think about this for a teacher. I think about this as, for me in business as a recruiter and in talent acquisition. Whenever I'm in a conversation, what's the one thing we're going to walk away with today from this so that we really can feel like we've either made progress or we've got to move in a different direction? Yeah. And I'll say this. So this is, uh, the, I would say the keystone habit. So we're talking about units or whatever, uh, you know, if it's schools, if it's, and I'm going to go to my family unit right now. I think if my family is clicking on all cylinders, if we're thinking about a keystone mm-hmm. habit, we have a Sunday family meeting, like where we get out the calendars or get out our calendar. Cause everyone's stuff is on our, my calendar yep. is a rainbow mess. Uh, <laughs> and, but everyone, if you have something, it's gotta be on the calendar. You need to ride somewhere or if you, you know, yeah. you're not going to be making dinner, like, because you're at an event, because that's on the, everything's on the calendar. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just having, especially with the last year, because my son was a senior and he had all sorts of different stuff, but he also had a car so he could help pick up, pick up right, and drop stuff right. off, which is really nice. But anyway, all that to go with like, hey, let's review. Where are we going this week? Right. Mm-hmm. And so that can say, oh, I'm going to have a project here. Ooh, I've got an appointment here. I'm going to need some help. But like just having this, this anticipate, this this habit of having this meeting then allows us to think about what's going to happen during this week, where the stress is going to be, where are they going to be the downtime? Where can we, you know, what are we even thinking about different meals we should plan because, Hey, everyone's busy this night. Mm-hmm. We better be something quick. Maybe something we could take with us, or this is, Hey, we can spend some time cooking there. And that could be a, a nice family thing. Um, 
and planning out the week in order to anticipate those things. And then that just sets us up for success. And then, so the reward is, Hey, there's less, there's, there's, <laughs> we're avoiding so much. Like, are you picking someone up? Are you picking someone up? Like what, what's happening? Like, Oh my gosh, what are we doing tonight? What are we eating tonight? Like we know like everyone, there's a, like a setting of calm over us. Not saying the Damodon household is a perfect household. Yeah. Just saying that that's been something that if I was pointing to one thing that I would say to any young family, like what to install, that would be something. Same thing for my classes. I mm-hmm. want them to see where the assignments coming up, where the where the big due dates coming. So like having that you know, updated list every single week, like, hey, keep on your radar. Here we go. So if you're thinking about when am I going to do this, it's not I'm going to do it later. No, no, no. When is later? Where mm-hmm. do you where are you putting that down? So like having them have a plan for how you're going to accomplish things because they I know. Uh, I'm dealing with seniors right now and their schedule is loaded. And so I was like, loaded. you need to have an anticipation of where you're going to go here. And what, and this leads directly into what you're saying by developing that habit. What happens when a crisis occurs mm. Yeah, and that power of a crisis. And I think for me, one of the last kind of real major takeaways is I remember being told this, as a young administrator, I remember this happening and I, I think about it every time there is power in a crisis and there is a lot you should never, ever, ever leave, not learn something from a crisis. And this is the one thing that I think if I'm going to be controversial and challenge the educational sector it's it's covid school violence district benchmarks maybe they don't belong in the same conversations but they're all crises that have happened to us what are we learning from them and how are we developing a new habit and you know i think of covid and i think of how many school districts were caught like a turtle on its back not being able to do you know, any type of pivoting. And yet now that we're out of that, we, it seems like we're reverting right. Some, some are reverting right back to where we were as opposed to continuing to push themselves to be more innovative and to continually adopt new technologies. Did we learn from that crisis? You know, School violence is another one that we just keep seeing replicated over and over and over again. And and how can we stop that cycle? Well, we've got to think about our habits, right? We've got to think about, is there a different routine that we can attack? District benchmarks, right? right, Joel, like you think about this all the time when a school fails to meet its standards, right? Well, you can sit there and feel sorry for yourself or you can dig deeper and figure out, okay, how do we can how do we change what we're doing so that we can then build towards something that's even more that's even better because of the crisis. I lost my job recently, and you know, you and I talked about this. It's a crisis for me, but it's but I can sit there and I can say, oh, I can feel sorry for myself, or I can do what I'm doing, which is I'm working outside of my comfort zone to try to develop new skills. I'm taking, I, I'm doing a little bit of learning and education right now. I'm, you know, I'm in trying to network and trying to branch out into other areas that I didn't think that would have never happened if 
the crisis hadn't occurred and it's already spurring on all kinds of things for me. So it says the, the quote that I want to really kind of like wrap this around, it says, wise executives seek out moments of crisis or maybe even create the perception of crisis and cultivate the sense that something must change until everyone is finally ready to overhaul the patterns they live with each day. I've done, I did that when I was in my classes, you know, like I created a crisis, you know, sometimes like where you said, we're not getting this and we've got to change or we've got to move forward. You know, I did it as a coach, you know, and so I don't know. I, I know that crises are seen so often in a negative light. There has to be good that comes from something. And we have to remember that when they occur, now's the time to not revert back. But then again, if, and this gets back to what you were saying, if you've got good habits, do crises ever have that same impact? That's the side question, right? A, we should never, ever not learn from a crisis. But if you have those good habits, Joel, and you're right, your students are overwhelmed, but you have good habits in the class and they have those good habits, does that crisis really impact them or ever happen? Or have less, I mean, just or, or less influence, right? Or less influence on yeah. them, you're right. And so, so much right there. I mean, that, that to me, I was like, whoa, you know, the London the London train station example that was in the book, man, it was powerful. It's tragic, but powerful. In fact, that they didn't all know what each other were doing. And sadly, when we think about a lot of the crises that we see in our schools today or in our companies or corporations, a lot of it stems to bad habits of communication, Mm. bad habits of not having the plan. And that's something where I really think if anyone's going to pause and think for a moment, right, this is that moment to kind of reflect and say, boy, you know, how do those inflection points create meaning and how do I make positive meaning out of difficult inflection points? Well, and then I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up your wrap up. And say like there was the this example of the story, and it's like it was a crisis, but it was a smaller scale than some of the ones that you're mentioning. But it was a, it was the Alcoa example, mm-hmm. where a uh, a major executive um, who didn't do something. I mean, when you, in the grand scheme of things, some people are like like well, I fixed it. It was like there was a an issue with safety that mm-hmm. the executive fixed. Yep. And then, but some people did get sick, but they were they recovered, but he never reported it. Correct. Right? He never, so you're talking about communication, never reported it. And one of the keystone habits in here is like, Hey, if, if there's an issue with safety, we report it. So, and, and what they said is the cardinal sin was not reporting it because he robbed everyone, the opportunity to learn, robbed Absolutely. everyone of the opportunity to learn. And so I can drill that all the way down into when I'm teaching my teachers how to teach mathematics. Mm-hmm. And like, when you, you know, just ignore uh, you students thinking that might not be on the 
completely the right track, but when you're not, when you're just, just focusing on right answers and you're not like, Hey, we're making sense of the problem and perseverance. Perseverance is going to involve struggle. Mm-hmm. Struggle involved is going to involve mistakes. And how do we learn from our mistakes? Cause Absolutely. there's other books that talk about how um, you're, when you make mistakes, your brain grows, right? So it does. If, we're, if we're not embracing those mistakes, either if it all the way down to a student trying to work a problem in mathematics, to sharing it with a small group, to sharing it within front of the class, to then teachers making mistakes, sharing it with each other and professional learning communities. Like, Hey, I used to do this. Now I learned mm-hmm. how to do this. And I mean, I've had teachers like remark, Hey, I used to do this last year. I do this this year. And now it, it's like improving this problem yes. and sharing it with the, my other folks. Or like you're saying, even the larger scale at a policy level or uh, at this you know district level or at the national level, thinking about, Hey, how are we trying to make strides here and i know on campus they're talking uh, there's the carnegie um i'm gonna get it wrong my dean's gonna kill me I, he probably didn't listen but anyway we'll see <laughs> we'll see dean rock if you're listening <laughs> you can you can shout back at me but uh but he but the whole idea about uh networked improvement communities yep. right where they're trying to figure out what are these what are these levers that we can try to push mm. in order to influence something that we all care about right but yes. that's going to involve and it's involved mistakes right where we're possibly possibly incomplete thinking and probably wrong like there's keep going but if we yes. if you've made a mistake and i made a mistake but then somebody else made some headway all right now we can try that and we're admitting we made a mistake and but that's it's okay because we yes. if, as long as we learn and improve from those things and then and, and you're you're hitting it you hit two things super on the head one of the things about crisis and negative situations and making mistakes is it's it's that replicable endorphin rush that often happens just like something really positive and so when that endorphin rush happens it almost takes uh it puts a brain stamp and into your into your mind and and you can remember where you were the day that you did this so a mistake and doing something so amazing those are things that we in our brain they stamp and immediately we can remember when something is about to happen similarly it's almost as if it's a, it's a scary phenomenon that we can go almost directly back to that moment in time when either something super positive happened or super negative that endorphin rush will come back again and the beauty of us versus our dogs that we were talking about earlier is we actually can use our frontal lobe and impact what's about to happen next and that's the key, right? And and these crises that occur, they can be positive and negative, however it is. But when when you get to that heart of that that brain activity, boy, like that's the true learning. That's the aha moments. That's the got it. That's the now I want to replicate this so I get it right over and over again. Or boy, I'm not doing this again this way because it led me to this. And so whether you're a teacher in a classroom that you manage or whether you're someone like in my line of work where you're you're looking for a job or you're or you're trying to figure out what your next thing is in your career like all of these little habits all of these little ways of doing things it really boils down to self discipline and a keystone of your of the core to yourself, how you're making decisions, what you view and what you believe is value you've got to find ways to continue to pull things into there because those are the core traits of your humanness that are going to help you through 
those tough times, the times when the endorphins aren't firing, when you may have to replicate your own endorphins or when a crisis happens, those core things, that's what's going to get you through. And it's not going to be just some fly-by-night chat GPT voice telling you how to solve a problem. It's going to be deep and rooted inside of you. Well, speaking of endorphins, that was great. That was great. Thank you. Gary, I appreciate your time. This has been great. And I, yeah. I think we need to put a, a plug in for the Word Wednesday. I enjoy them. Yeah, uh, I hope that those that, that are following your podcast also, the Wednesday Word is just, it's fun, but it's also meaningful for me. I, I think it's my own little way of, of taking something that's obscure that, you know, I did Donkey the other day and I and people were just, they're cracking up because the very first thing they thought of is where in the world is he going with this? But I think, uh, and well, I won't even explain it so that the, that the, those of you that are, are listening, or maybe your Dean who's listening to you, um, <laughs> will check out the Wednesday word and he'll realize how important, uh, the interaction with a donkey can be in terms <laughs> of how you do or don't do something going forward. Nice. Anything else to share before we sign off here? No, I, I think, You know, I really hope that in the end, you know, no matter what your walk of life is, whether again, whether this is, you you know, you're, you're listening to this because you are in the educational sector, um, you know, or you're in the business sector like I'm in and you're, you know, trying to figure out your way in the world. Like, I don't know if there's a more important thing than positive, strong habits and developing those routines because life is going to throw you a million curveballs and we have to be able to resort. And when those curveballs happen, we can't be thinking fastball. We got to just be thinking, okay, okay, how do I take what I know I can do and apply this and try to get me through these tough situations? Then how do I adapt so that I can then be prepared for the next? You're never going to be perfect by any means, and you're going to make mistakes, and a crisis is going to happen. But in the end, right, again, I I go back to this, your core humanness, your core habits is going to get you through the vast majority of things and get you to see that even those negative things can turn out really positive. That's a good word. That's a good word. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate you. You're welcome. It was great to be with you again. And I look forward to your next challenge because I, I think you'll, you'll be, cha- you challenge me often uh, in this setting. You're like, hey, I got a book. Now let's go. And <laughs> I'm, I look forward to maybe uh, four or five months from now for, for my next challenge and this, uh, and look forward to that with you because you, you make my endorphins go when, th- when that happens. Yeah. Well, thank you, Gary. I appreciate you. And yeah, again, well, the, the next one will be coming. All, All right. right. Sounds All good. Right. Thanks for your time. All right. There we go. There's uh, my conversation with Gary on the power of habit, why we do what we do in life and in business. Conversation is always excellent with Gary, and I'm excited about the different perspectives that he brings. And if you're looking for more, again, go pick up the book, The Power of Habit. It's been around for a while. It's probably used copies if you are looking for it. In You can go to used bookstores, but you can also find that probably on Amazon or whatever. Or you can go to the link in the show notes. You can get one from bookshop.org. So again, if you're looking for the show notes, go to amazonplant.com forward slash episode 97. 
Also, if you're looking for a link to register for that webinar that we talked about at the beginning of the episode, the October MTLT Book Club, that's featuring uh, the article I wrote uh, with Morgan Trevathan, Supporting Mathematics Instruction Through Community. Uh, that's going to again, going to be October 3rd, 2023 at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. Um, if you're looking for uh, to engage in some live professional development, go ahead and, and do it. So uh, the link will be in the show notes. Everything else, if you're looking for ways to support the podcast, you can subscribe, rate, review, and share this episode, which will allow more people looking for similar content to find it. As always, you can follow at Amazon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. Uh, if you're looking for uh, you know places to other places to support, you know what? Just do that. Just just share the episode. You like that'd be the best way to support. It's more people that get exposed to the content. If you think the content is valuable. That's uh, great. And we got some more great content coming up. So I'm looking forward to sharing more. Uh, thank you for Gary for spending time on Amazon Planet. And thanks to Matt Mifflin for his, the music for this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there learning to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you've been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.